This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Well, like I said, we're going to be in Psalm 34 for today. Um, and it is good to be the one bringing you the word today. I'm, I've been looking forward to this time for quite, quite a while. And I'm excited to see what the Lord does because of this message. So in Psalm 34, I'll be reading out of the CSB. Um, but before we do that, would you pray with me? Lord, we, we come to you right now, Father, and we, we thank you for being our rock and our redeemer, the greatest treasure in our lives. Lord, um, like you, there is no other. So Lord, we come to you right now and we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for this time. Lord, feed us through your word. Lord, I pray that you'll speak to us through it, that you'll speak through me, Lord, to present your word accurately and well for your glory and that you will use it to save and sanctify your people. Lord, uh, we trust in you and we trust in that promise. We trust right now, Lord, that you will speak. So, Lord, use this time to honor you. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. So in Psalm 34, if you have your Bibles with you or tablets or phone, however you use to access the Word, if you would turn to Psalm 34, that's where we'll be. Verses 1 through 10 is where we'll be for the remainder of the day. And what I saw when first studying this passage is in verse 8, that's where I first gravitated towards, because in verse 8 is perhaps one of the most popular verses we get in the Psalms. Verse 8 is the popular taste and see that the Lord is good. If you ever received uh, maybe a Christian thank you card or something, this verse, it would probably be at the bottom of that. Or if you ever Googled like top 20 most encouraging Christian verses, this one, it tends to be there. And it is a true verse. It is a beautiful verse. But because of its fame and popularity, it tends to get stripped out of context. It tends to kind of be left on its own, and the surrounding verses tend to be forgotten. And when I came to this text to study it, I saw that there's a lot more going on in this chapter than just tasting that the Lord is good, seeing that the Lord is good, but that this passage's main theme is about fear. It is about fear and properly fearing the Lord and how we ought to live through fearing God properly. According to uh, Robert Godfrey in his book, Learning to Love the Psalms, I'd recommend it. It's a great introduction to the Psalms. He explains one important form of Hebrew poetry is that a poem often has a critical verse or message in the middle of the poem rather than at the end. Now, we know the Psalms are mostly poetry and that they were written in Hebrew, very different than our English language. If we were to read an English poem, it would usually be, uh, usually the author's main point would be at the end of the poem or maybe at the very start of it. But in Hebrew, they most often would keep the main point they would want you to know in the middle. So when we approach Psalms, we come to this understanding and we look at the middle of this chapter of 22 verses. So we come to verse 11 and it says this, come children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. The main point David wanted us to comprehend is what it means to fear the Lord and live because of that. But before we get to that, we have to understand what fear is, don't we? It's easy to come to a word like that with a preconceived understanding, right? 
So I really liked how Martin Luther explained this. He said there are two types of fear mostly seen in the Bible. The first type of fear is what we're, we're probably most familiar with. It's that being scared, anxious, maybe worried about something, being fearful. The example he gave is somebody in prison being worried about their, the person who captured them coming and torturing them, right? That kind of anxious dread that we might feel. Or in our lives today, it might be something as simple as the feeling um, we get at night when we, we lay our, he- our heads down to sleep and we start thinking about all the what ifs and all the, oh, what's this, what's this gonna happen? How's this gonna look? We start becoming fearful of things. So we're most familiar with that kind of fear. And the Bible does talk about God in this fearful type of way, standing in awe and trembling before him. We see that. But there's also a second kind of fear that I think we most often forget and that we're not really familiar with in our English language today. And the second type of fear is a fear based out of deep respect. It is a fear wanting to bring honor out of a deep-rooted longing to please somebody for who they are and what they have done. Not fearing punishment or anger, but out of love for them. Now think about this. I mean, we, we, we act like this in life. Imagine the person, maybe you, one, one person you respect most in life. If they came through the doors right now, maybe a celebrity, somebody on social media, I don't know, somebody, somebody you really look up to. If they came through the doors right now, and looked at you and said, hey, can you help me with something? You might be a little nervous, right? But you're not gonna be afraid that they might punish you if you do whatever they ask you to do wrong, but you're going to be fearful because you're gonna wanna do whatever they ask you to do it well. You're you're gonna be fearful because you respect them so much, you're gonna do whatever they ask of you to do it as best you can because you respect them. This is similar if you're you're maybe how you would view one of your parents, right? Whatever they ask you to do, even though, you know, maybe if you're young in this room, you might roll your eyes at it. But we should have a deep-rooted respect for them, and whatever they ask us to do, we should do it. Not because we're afraid they might hurt us or punish us, but because of who they are, and we know they love us. And they want what's best for us, and we go and do whatever they ask of us out of a deep-rooted respect for them. The Bible calls this fear. It is a different kind of fear that we tend to forget about. So when we come to this text, we're going to see both kinds of fear, and I'll point that out. But we need to look at the context before we get there. If you are reading from the CSB translation, there's a subheading above the text, and it says this, concerning David, when he pretended to be insane in the presence of Abimelech, who drove him out and he departed. So we can see in Psalm 34, this was written right when David was fleeing from Saul. Saul wanted David dead, and David knew this, so he was fleeing. And David thought he would be crafty and smart enough to go and flee and hide with the Philistines. Now, if you don't know much about church history, you, probably, you know, at least know the story of David and Goliath, right? Goliath came from the Philistines, one of their top soldiers ever, and David killed him. So the Philistines do not like David. They want nothing to do with David. They want him dead. So David, whether it's a smart move or not, goes and chooses to hide with the Philistines and blend in. But guess what? He gets recognized. He gets captured. David knows this is bad news. And he gets brought before the king. And before he's brought before the king, we can read in 1 Samuel that he realizes something's wrong. And he realizes he needs to do something really crazy in order to get away from this one. So what does he do? He decides to act crazy. 
He starts pulling out his beard. He starts foaming at the mouth. He starts flailing around, acting like he's crazy, hoping that the king would see this and be like, that's David? This guy's lost it. I, I want nothing to do with him. Go ahead, and get, go ahead and get him out of here. And we see that this works. David wrote this psalm around this time, most likely shortly after this event. So David is now freed from Abimelech, but yet still fleeing from Saul. That's where we come into this psalm. And starting in verse 1, it says this. Well, before I get to verse 1, my first point is those who fear the Lord will worship him. This psalm wants us to view everything out of how somebody ought to live when they're fearing the Lord. And we see in verses 1 through 3, David choosing to worship God. In verse 1, it says this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. Now, because of the context of this passage, we know that David just got out of a tricky situation. David could have pointed to himself and be like, look, those the silly Philistines believed my trick. They thought I was crazy. Wow, look what I did. But David doesn't do that. David points back to God and says, Lord, it is you who I praise. He doesn't, David doesn't point to himself, but he points back to God. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. This psalm would have been read at the start of a worship service back then to encourage praise to everybody. Look what God has done. Look how God has been faithful to me. When we are worshiping God, we remind ourselves that who God is and that he brings us through the hard times, not ourselves. No matter how crafty, no matter how smart, no matter how much effort we put into our plans, ultimately it's the Lord who has to see them through. And we are called to worship him even through the good and the bad. We also see um, in verses 4 and 5, in my second point, those who fear the Lord will seek him. Those who fear the Lord will seek him. Verses, starting in verse 4, it says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. Now, I just want to pause for a second and ask you, think about all the things that we're told to seek after in life. Think about it. You know, when I was younger, it was all about, you know, get, get good grades so that you can hopefully go to your dream school so that you can hopefully get your dream job, so that hopefully you make enough money so that you can be able to live comfortably and afford whatever you want and live at peace in this world. None of those things are bad. None of those things are bad. However, whenever these things take place in our hearts where God should be, they become idols. They become false idols and we start placing our hope in them instead of in God. We start seeking after the things of the world instead of the things of God. In order to be rescued from our fear, you have to seek after God. God has promised to rescue us from our fears. Now, this does not mean that God will make all of our fears all of a sudden go away, right? We understand in David's story, given the context of what's going on, David was freed from Abimelech, free from the Philistines. He's free. He thought he was about to lose his life, and he didn't. But guess what? He's still fleeing from Saul. Saul was still after him. Saul still wanted him dead, and he was still running. 
Now this word fear is the first type of fear I mentioned, right? There's two types. The first type is like trembling, worried, anxious, scared. And David says, you'll rescue me from all my fears. This does not mean that our fears just poof away. But when we start looking at God and who he is and start fearing him properly, we'll see that all our fears in life begin to dwindle down. And we'll realize that the things that we fear most in life, whatever that may be, there's a lot going on now, a lot of things we could fear. We'll start to see who God is, how he's in control of everything, how he's been good to his people and us. And those fears we have in life, whatever they may be, will begin to slowly go away because of how good God is to his people. God will replace your fears for the things of this world with proper fear for him. Then in verse 5 it says, those who look at him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. So I have to ask you, do you consider yourself a person that's radiant with joy? That's a simple question. I'm sure we all know Christians or people who have gone to church for a really long time that would consider, you know, that, that they're a little uh, maybe uh, hard on the surface or maybe not very loving or they're a little, uh, you know, blunt. I don't know. There's a lot of personality traits that go into that, so I don't want to say one thing's bad. But the Bible makes it clear here that those who look at him are radiant with joy. Are you a joyful person? Joy is a deep-rooted thing that comes in our hearts. Happiness is a term used in the Bible also, but happiness is based out of happenstance. It's based off the current situation around you. Now, we're called to be happy in the Lord, and we'll see that in a second, but joy is a deep-rooted thing. You can have joy while having tears in your eyes. Joy is the deep-rooted thing that comes from the Lord and not this world. But the word radiant here, radiant with joy, this is the same word used in the story of uh, Moses when he went and got the Ten Commandments. It's the same Hebrew word used when Moses received the Ten Commandments and walked off the mountain, and all the people saw that he was radiating light from his face. It's the same word used, and I believe David used this to communicate a message, and that message is when we seek after God, when we know him and fear him properly, when we're worshiping him, it looks like something. It's not just a bunch of Christian do's and don'ts and this whole thing, oh, I'll go to church, I'll be a good person, I'll read my Bible every now and then. But we should be radiating joy. Just like when we read in Moses in his story, when he came off the mountain, the Israelites saw, and they saw a difference with him. We should be showing that same difference. Now we're not radiating light. No, but we're radiating joy. Joy is the fruit of spending time with God. If you are struggling with not being joyful, might might I ask that the first thing I would ask is, how is your time with the Lord? Most likely it's lacking. And who are we to complain? Because we have so many ways to interact with the Lord today, do we not? We can, you know, I can read the Bible on my tablet. There's a free Bible app we can get. You know, this, this is the world we live in has never had easier access to the word of God, ever. But yet here we are, slowly, slowly straying from it. May we seek the Lord. But not only that, this leads me into point three. Those who fear the Lord taste and see that he is good. Verse eight says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy 
is the person who takes refuge in him. Now, when I first read this, it's easy to read verse 8 and be like, oh man, that's it, that's it right there. But what does it mean to taste? That's kind of a funny way of thinking about it, right? Somebody's talking about God and the first thing you read is taste that he is good, right? It's easy for us to see that the Lord is good. Like verse 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? We can see that the Lord is good. We can read in our Bibles how good God has been to his people. We can look in our own lives at how God has been faithful to us even in our own lives. But to taste and see, the word taste comes with an intimate interaction with God. Right? Just like we would view our favorite food, right? You can look at a picture of it and be like, man, that looks good. But you really don't know how good it is until you taste it. Taste and see. It's an inviting word to come and experience God on your own. Not just viewing him at the surface, but interacting with him. It's the same, this is the same wordage that Peter uses in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. And that says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. I can't emphasize that word if enough. If you have tasted that the Lord is good. So what does that mean? What does it mean to taste that the Lord is good? This passage tells us, like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word, so that by it you will grow up into your salvation. Like a newborn infant desires milk. Now I feel like I can boast a little bit here and say, uh, from having Silas about five and a half months ago, I know what a baby looks like when they desire milk. If they don't get what they want in a few hours, they're gonna let you know. They desire it. They let you know that they desire it and they go after it and then they're not happy until they get it. Peter knows this and he knows that the people of his time would understand this. But then he compares it to the sweetness of God's word. Do you see God's word as sweet? Do you view spending time with the Lord, seeking after him, worshiping him as a sweet thing? If you do, Peter says, this will look like something in your life. You'll seek after it like a baby seeks after milk. And that's how we taste God, through his word. You should want to taste the word more than you want to taste your favorite dessert. Think about that. And that's coming from a guy who loves dessert. (laughs) But we should seek after the word. We should want to taste it. And when we taste it, it should taste sweet. And then we see in verses 9 and 10, verses 9 and 10 say, You who are his holy ones, fear the Lord. This is the second type of fear. For those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. This is the same type of wording that is used in Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. Or in other translations, it says, I I, I shall not want. Why? Because your needs are met. But how often is it that we confuse our needs with wants? I don't know about you, but like whenever I walk into like Costco or Best Buy or any big store like that, they always have like their TVs out at front, right? And it's easy to like walk in that and like that's the first thing you see and you're like, man, the more you look at it, the more you think, you start telling yourself, I need that. 
You're like, ooh, that looks good. I could use that. But then whenever you get your hands on it or like maybe the latest phone, right? There's always a new phone coming out, right? And then you get your hands on it, you start experiencing it. Then a few weeks later, you realize, oh, I mean, it's nice, but like it's barely different than my last one. Maybe I didn't really need it. It's easy for us, especially in America today, to confuse our wants and our needs, but the Lord promises to take care of our needs. Just as the Lord took care of David in this psalm, he will take care of us. But this does not mean that we'll be wealthy, that we'll have everything we want. This does not mean that the, that the Lord will answer every prayer that we have about money and experiences in life. But the Lord will take care of our needs. Believe me, it would, it would be nice to have enough money and things to be able to go, on, go and buy the biggest house and have the nice pool in the backyard and drive that dream car and all these things. But at the end of the day, where will that get you? Will that get you closer to God? No. The Lord understands that our needs go more than just the physical things. And he's promised to provide us our daily bread. We know that. We know that. But when the Bible talks about needs, it's also speaking of our spiritual needs, which go much deeper. Which go much deeper. And it's easy to start twisting things. Many prosperity preachers today twist these verses that talk about need to make it sound like, oh, look, God will provide for you in other ways. Yes, he will. But before we even get there, Spiritual need has to be the first thing we talk about. That is the most important. God cares about your needs, but he cares about your spiritual health more than anything. And in that, when we are worshiping him, when we are seeking after him, he will provide us our needs. We will not go hungry, physically or spiritually. The Lord will take care of us, just as he took care of David during this crazy circumstance in his life when we properly fear the Lord. So I have to ask, do you fear the Lord properly? Whether you are actively fearing the Lord or not, the solution's still the same thing. The solution is still the same. Turn to God and find refuge in him. Seek after God and he will take away your fears by replacing your fears of this world with the fear of the Lord, knowing that he is good and just, he will take care of you. If you are fearful today, put your hope in God. Seek after him. View him as a refuge and to, to pursue safety. He will take care of you. He is our refuge. Finding fear in God will take away our fears from this world. If there's anything I want you to take away from this sermon, more it is understanding that when we place our fear in God, when we're seeking after him, all the fears of this world will dwindle and we'll see how good and precious God really is. So would you pray with me? Lord, um, I thank you for this time. Thank you for this message. Lord, I pray that we will seek after you with our, earnest, with our hearts earnestly, that we will seek after you, Lord, for who you are and what you have done and how faithful you have been to us to your people, and that, Lord, through that, we'll learn what it means to fear you, that we won't be placing our fear in the things of this world, Lord, that, but that we'll be properly placing it in you. Lord, you have been so good to us. Continue to walk with us, Lord. Continue to be there with us as we walk with you this week. Minister to us, Lord, and we thank you for this time. We lift it up to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I was... 
hoping that David would be walking up now. But he is not. Um, a few things to end. As always, if you need prayer or anything like that, we'll be out in the back. Um, I'll be outside. We'd love to talk to you. Love to catch up outside in the fresh air um, and everything like that. And then one thing also that um, I'm, none of us are surprised about going on right now in this world. If you turn on the news, what do you see? Everybody's talking about the pandemic and everything that's going on. And we as a staff at church, we as pastors have been talking about it. And after hearing what the governor has been telling us to how we ought to do church, um, we see it best that we want to encourage everybody to keep wearing masks when you come and when you go until you get seated, until you get in a place of social distancing to wear a mask. Um, not out of fear of the government, not out of fear of worldly powers, but mostly out of care for brother, our fellow brothers and sisters. There's that verse that talks about our weaker brother, our weaker sister in the faith. You know, we can have our own opinions on masks and in a few months, I'm sure the next thing we'll see on the news is people pointing fingers, who's right and who's wrong. You know, who was really right about masks and who was wrong, but all that, all that to say um, that we should take care of our brother and sister in the faith. And what we know right now is that um, that means wearing a mask um, when you're out in public. So that's one thing we wanted to encourage everybody um, to do um, as we continue to seek after the um, keeping social distancing and, you know, trying to fight this pandemic as best we can. But above all that, we should pray. We should pray that the Lord will see us through this and that we'll be able to look back years from now and be able to praise God for what he has done through this. So um, as we end, I want to pray real quick and then you all will be dismissed. Thank you for coming. So uh, let's pray. Lord, uh, we come again, Lord, to your throne, and we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Be with our country and our nation, Lord, as we are continuing to go through this pandemic. Lord, we pray as Christians, Lord, that we will be hospitable and loving to others, even through doing things possibly that we don't necessarily want to do. Um, but Lord, we just thank you for this time that we have, for keeping us largely safe. Um, Lord, continue to be with us and keep us safe as we go throughout our day. Um, and we pray, Lord, above all else, that you will be glorified in how we live in our weekly lives. Lord, we pray this to you and we lift it up to you. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. 
How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through His Word, through prayer, and through His people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.